0: There was an explosion on board and blew him out of the plane. Oh. Um, Still didn't have his parachute on. Okay. But he was holding it in his hand. Okay. By the strap. Oh my goodness. At 26,000 feet.
1: That's a cliffhanger. (laughs)
2: Welcome to this Alabama Life. My name is Don Keith, and I'm your host for this podcast. And if you have discovered us, you know where you found it. Uh, if you have not discovered us, or you know somebody who hasn't, and you appreciate what we're trying to do with this program—that is, tell good, positive stories of people who are making a difference—then uh, share the link that you found where you, you found our podcast, or uh, subscribe on YouTube or some of the other sources. We love reviews. If you think we deserve five stars or a thumbs up, we appreciate you doing that as well. Talk about positive stories. We've got a young man with us today who is a very talented graphic artist and photographer who one day decided that he would uh, use the talents with which he had been blessed to tell the stories of people who made... Uh, a huge sacrifice to assure that we have freedom. By the way, Andrea Tice is here. I forgot I am to here. say hi. Yes, it's
1: good to be back in studio with you. I'm Don. so
2: anxious to get into this story because I know uh, you're going to enjoy it. I, I certainly am, am proud of, the, of what he's doing because I write quite a bit about uh, World War II history. And I also sponsor uh, a website called untoldmillions.net where I encourage people to collect what I call eyewitness history. That's the story of people who have done remarkable things, uh, primarily veterans, but also people who participated in the space program, or the civil rights movement, or uh, the invention of the transistor, whatever. We need to be capturing those stories, and this man decided one day he would do that. Let me introduce you to Jeff Reese. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to have you. Did you just wake up one day and decide you were going to start taking
0: portraits of World War II veterans? Pretty much. It wasn't quite that simple, but I pretty much had a, an idea to photograph some interesting people uh, looking for some elderly people, and, and World War II veterans sounded like a great idea. I thought, honestly, that I would probably just do two or three, if I could find them, And add them to my portfolio. But it only took meeting one eventually when I did meet him to realize that, hey, I'm going to keep doing this and do it as you know, meet as many as I can. So that's where I am right now.
2: Now, do you have any World War II veterans uh, in your family or was this just uh, out of the
0: blue? I do have, uh, there's an uncle who actually died in, during World War II. He was in the Coast Guard serving on a destroyer escort in the North Atlantic, you know, escorting convoys across the Atlantic. And his ship was hit by a, a German U-boat torpedo, and he lost his life there. So I never got to meet him, of course. And that was my mother's brother. Um, Not, I didn't know the story about him until really just a few years ago. Um, There was an author who wrote a book about the ship and and the story of its sinking. And um, that book just came out a few years ago. And when I read it, you know, then I knew the whole story. Uh, I'd only heard bits and pieces before that. My father also uh, was uh, a paratrooper in the Army, not during World War II, but during Korea, and um, I have an uncle, another uncle, and um, a number of other veterans in my family. You know, my, Even my son has served in the Marine Corps.
1: Do you find that uh, families tend to just kind of keep, these stories on the down low, unless there's someone who's kind of prodding them or teasing them out and they're just not willing. It's not something they talk about every day until they have an opportunity by way of a photo shoot or whatever that brings that whole thing to the forefront.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of them haven't shared very much about their um, service during the war. And usually um, it's, later in life, you know, like now, and the stories come out, there seems to be a, as as you know, Don, there's a greater interest um, or maybe a renewed interest in World War II stories now um, as the younger generation gets older. And and so it's it's kind of happened that way. You know, I meet a lot of veterans and talk to their families, and, and they they hear stories that the veterans tell me and don't tell me later is that I never heard that part before. That's been my experience too. Uh, A
2: lot of them have not talked about it for several reasons. One, they just don't want to relive uh, some of the things that they went through. Mm -hmm. They don't want to burden their families with uh, some of the bad experiences they've had. Some of them just say, well, you know, I was a truck driver or I drove a forklift or I dug ditches or I cooked or cut hair or whatever, so I didn't do anything to win the war. Everybody involved did something to win the war.
0: That's right. And I i I tell people, it doesn't matter what you did. You served and you were part of the, you know, over 16 million who did serve and helped to win the war.
2: And we could talk about urgency. I don't know how long, how far you were into this whole project and we want to talk about how far you are into it now. Uh, when I first started doing World War II uh, books, uh, I, I used the, the term 800 a day. World mm-hmm. War II veterans are dying. Now it's less than 300 a day. The reason is there just aren't that many left. Yeah. And it, obviously you, you at some point realized you got to get as many of these as you can because you certainly dove deeper than that original two. Just to put in your portfolio.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's. I'm up to about... I think 271 wow. right now, and I have plenty more leads um, that hopefully I can make, make it to the, many of those. But, right, I think I've calculated if the uh, National World War II Museum in New Orleans is accurate, we're probably at about 214,000 veterans still living.
2: I think I saw somewhere 2028 will be about the last World War II veteran, and that's coming up fairly quickly. At what point, okay, you went out, you, you found a couple of veterans. How'd you find those initial two?
0: Initially, I wanted to uh, try to photograph my wife's uncle, and he lives in New Orleans, so it wasn't really local to me, but... Uh, we asked his family if he would be willing to do that. And they quickly said, no, he doesn't like to talk about his service. He, we're, we're sure that he, he won't want to do it. So we just said, okay, we'll you know, move on and look elsewhere. And probably within a couple of weeks after you know asking about him, I happened to see a local veteran being honored at the uh, the then Birmingham iron football game. They were honoring heroes. And I saw, I wasn't, wasn't at the game, but I saw a video clip of this 99 year old Marine Corps mm-hmm. veteran wearing his dress blues. Oh, wow. Uh, standing <laughs> in the end zone being honored at that football game. And I thought he would be perfect if I, if I, can somehow get in touch with him. And so I tracked him down through the news reporter who first uh, talked about him. He put me in touch with somebody who put me in touch with um, the veteran's nephew. And I told him what I wanted to do. I had nothing to go on other than
2: you saw him at the halftime of the football My desire <laughs>
0: to do this, and so I explained what I wanted to do, and they graciously agreed to let me come to the veteran's house and, and meet him. And that was uh, uh, Colonel Carl Cooper, lived in Vestavia Hills, and um, set off this journey of meeting over 270 veterans so far. And it's amazing where it's taken me. And at what point did you say, uh-oh, what have I gotten myself into <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> Probably about a year. When that first credit card bill came in for <laughs> the gas in the hotel. <laughs> there was an article written about my project, uh, Portraits of Honor, in the Washington Post mm. on Veterans Day 2020, I guess it was. And when that happened, the rest of that day I was getting emails and phone calls from all over the country. Eventually, added it up, and there was uh, emails from forty-one states plus Washington D.C. and you know two probably three hundred emails. Um, it, it was just incredible, and I, I was blown away. And uh, you went viral. It went viral and it's been wonderful to have the recognition for it and people, not just, not really for me, but for the veterans. Mm -hmm. You know, some of these veterans are pretty well known in military uh, circles, but Mm -hmm. uh, most of them aren't. Mm -hmm. Um, And to have them... Get the recognition and be able to tell their stories, and for me to be able to share that with a lot more people—that's that's been wonderful and worth it to me. Now,
2: this project, I'm sure, has evolved as time has gone. You, you, are, you are. first, I think we should emphasize: these are not uh, Polaroid pictures that you're taking of these people. These are prof- right. Jeff is a very, very talented photographer, and he does a lot of professional photography. We were just uh, talking before we started the podcast today and pulled, uh, his wife pulled up a picture of one of the Gaither vocal band, uh, who actually lives in Birmingham, by the way, and uh, Jeff looked at it and he said, yeah, I took that picture. So you, you take pictures of uh, lots of famous people and lots of not so famous people, but yeah. uh, uh, these are wonderful portraits. And what is the deal with presenting
0: a, a, one of the portraits to the family? Do you still do that? I do. A lot of the veterans aren't local. I've been able to travel quite a bit with, you know, more people hearing about this. You know, I've been able to, to raise money to travel. You have a GoFundMe or. Yeah. Have a GoFundMe. And. We do want to talk about that by the way. Okay. And so usually unless they're local, I'll, I'll get the, uh, the portrait finished. You know, I'll do a little post-processing on it and get it ready and I'll mail it to them. And so that's been, you know, wonderful. The, I do prefer doing it in person when I can, those who are local and, uh, I can go and see them, see the expression on their face. Um, and if their family is there, you know, but it, nonetheless, I get people calling me back. You know, just the other day, there was a, a veteran that I met in Hawaii in December, and um, I had, he had just received his portrait in the mail. So he gave me a call. Uh, I think I was busy, and he just left a voicemail, but um, he will be getting a call back from me for sure. Um, he lives in Florida, um, and it was just wonderful to be able to meet him and, and take his picture you know, right there in Pearl Harbor.
1: Well, I'm, I'm anxious to show our audience one of the portraits that you do because I think they're just beautiful. What a, yeah. an incredible family. Um, this is
2: very low tech family the way we're doing this. I'm not heirloom. sure if we're. Yeah. We don't have a monitor, so I'm not sure if we're totally on camera
0: or not, but uh, this is an example. Yeah, that's Brad Freeman and he is actually the very last member of Easy Company uh portrayed in the uh series um Band of, Band Brothers. of Brothers. Brothers, okay. He's the last surviving member of that and lives in Columbus, Mississippi. Um just a wonderful man, very humble um but he he gets A lot of recognition, you know, because of Band of Brothers, the book and the series that came out. So he it was wonderful to meet him. I I love the book and the series. I've watched it multiple times. I probably watch it every year. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just a good reminder of, you know, what these guys went through and the sacrifices that they made.
1: Well, it's, it's just beautiful, and I'm sure that the family, I mean, that's something to treasure, uh, especially since you bring out the story in the process of doing this, you know, right. years and years later, when hopefully they're a little more uh, likely to put it down on record mm-hmm. before, you know, they, they pass on.
2: Uh look at this guy.
0: Yeah, that's Earl Miller. I photographed him up in Huntsville, and... He has uh, passed away, unfortunately, since I photographed him. But I, that's one of my favorite portraits, just the way he was sitting there. Uh,
1: now, did he choose the black leather jacket? <clears throat> he brought that to the seat?
0: He brought it with him. Uh, okay. Or his, his son, I think, was with him that day and um, brought that. And it's when he put that on, it changed his whole look and demeanor. Uh-huh. All I had to do was point the camera yeah. at him and snap a couple of photos and it was just perfect. Yeah. He he was a P-51 fighter pilot in Europe during World War II and just fascinating stories. I got to have lunch with him after photographing him and you know, the P-51 was one of my favorite. The aircraft. Mustang. Yeah. yeah, and I, I was in awe that I got to sit there and, and just have so lunch and talk to There he is in him. the
2: cockpit of a Mustang right there yeah. in a picture next to him. That's one of the amazing things. And by the way, you can see a lot of these on the Portraits of Honor website. What is the URL for that? We want to mention that several times.
0: You can see all of the portraits at <clears throat> portraitsofhonor.us.
2: It's not .us, not dot
0: .com. We do have a dot .com portraitsofhonor.com dot com website. That's a little different story about a documentary that's going to be yeah, we'll made on. that. we get into that in just a few minutes. But uh, you've you've now
2: photographed how many veterans, and do you have a count of how many of them are still living?
0: I'm about two hundred and seventy one veterans that I've met and photographed, and I at last count, I think I'm probably. I know of about 51 or 52 who have passed away. Mm. There, there may be a few more. And you've that you've been doing this how long now? Next month will be three years. Three years.
1: Uh, did COVID bring that all to a screeching halt, or were you able to, to move through that?
0: It did stop it, you know, two years ago, right about this week. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for about four months, I think. And I started hearing about veterans who were already getting tired and fed up with staying in and not being able to do anything. So like all the rest of us. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so
1: they had to be thinking I survived World War II. <laughs> I'm exactly. I'm yeah. not going to stay jailed up this, in my house this anymore. Is,
0: this is nothing to them. Yes, so right. it did stop, but we, we, cautiously eased back into it um, meeting in very open places and keeping a distance and masked up um, until you know they could take theirs off for the portrait so we were pretty careful um as much as we could be and but from that point once we got started again it everything just kind of started sailing right on through okay
1: well that's good considering the time frame and that, that time is ticking. Yes. I'm glad that you did not lose any time on that. Very much yeah. time.
0: Yeah. I wish I could have started this, you know, years ago. Um, but, you know, I look back and I see where I was, you know, circumstances I couldn't have it was the timing just, was just right. The timing was right for me to do it now.
2: Yep. I I, I tell the story all the time. The first book I I wrote about World War II history was about a submarine, the USS Archerfish. Um, and then the second was the Batfish. I was going to go to their reunion. They were still having a, a World War II crew reunion in Muskogee, Oklahoma, of all places. And I'd been told they would not welcome a non-submariner, and especially a young non-submariner. I was young compared to them. But uh, a, a friend of mine had been on the sub, and he was going to go and introduce me to everybody and say, this guy's okay, you can talk to him. He had a heart attack two di- two uh, days before the uh, reunion, so I had to go out there by myself. But once they started talking, once they realized that I was going to try to tell their story and tell it the right way, and I'm sure you encounter the same thing, if, if they know this is going to, that the family is going to get a portrait of them as well, that kind of helps break the ice, I guess.
0: Yeah, this... The goal has always been to give them something for free. And, you know, as a gift from me, mm-hmm. my way of my small way of saying thank you for your service and the sacrifices that you made, uh, you know, at least I can use my talent to do something like that. And, you know, if they're open to it, um, that would be wonderful. And um, they've been very open to it.
1: I would imagine all these years after World War II, just and and the fact that these people served humbly, anyways, just not being forgotten, and that that portrait, you know, solidifies that you're not being forgotten. We took time to capture this moment, um, and to honor you for that. That's an, that's an incredible uh, step you're taking.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, it's very important. They're, they want to share their stories, and this is a way for their stories to get out there. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, is there a common thread that you find as you've, you know, over 200 veterans? Uh, is there a common thread that you see uh, presented by them when you do go and get their portrait?
0: There are a number. I, you know, s- some of the first things I noticed, so many of them were, you know, they, they were just coming out of the depression for one. So a lot of these veterans that I've met are from farms, mm-hmm. small towns, um, had very little. Most had never been, had traveled not far from where they were living ever. And so going off to, to war to serve, you know, whether in Europe or the Pacific or stateside, whatever it was, this, it was all something new to them and everybody else.
2: Well, I think people forget the ones who were still living were 16, 17, 18 years old when the war started. They had not lived much of life, and that was high school, pretty much.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right. that's true. And, and they came back, uh, I assume, and basically resumed life started in some ways lives, where uh, they started.
0: A few went back to high school. Oh, Imagine wow. that. Wow. And, you know, some never finished high school. Mm-hmm. Um, another common thread, though, is they will all say they're not a hero. Mm. And the heroes are the ones who didn't make it back. Mm. Mm. I hear that so many times. And um, it's, it's amazing. You know, and, and another th- common thing is, not all, but many have changed lives spiritually, too. You know, they'll come back. I know one veteran who's, you know, two veterans who are pastors now. Mm. Now, still preaching. Wow. At wow. 98 or 99 years old. And, you know, one of those is in Birmingham. He's, uh, I can't think of the name of the church right now, Bethel. Baptist, I think, um, over on the West End. And you know, he was a Montfort Point Marine and, you know, an all African American um uh, Marine Corps unit. And you know, he's he has actually met him at his church and in the basement they have basically a museum to him because he not only was uh, a Marine Corps veteran in World War II, but uh, also played in the uh, um, minor leagues and, and major league baseball. Oh, okay. Wow. As, like Jackie Robinson, he was one of those who were the first African Americans to play in the major leagues.
2: You know, something else that strikes me, I was uh, looking at the, the website preparing for you to be in today, is how many of these pictures or portraits They're wearing
0: their uniforms. There are a number, and I love it when they can do that, when they still have that available. And most of the times they can't fit in it quite like they did when they were 18 years old, but they still proudly wear them. I couldn't fit into what I wore when I was 10. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, You you started taking these. You've traveled all over the country, obviously to Pearl Harbor. Uh, is that the farthest you've gone? I guess
0: it has to be. It's halfway around the world almost. Well, um, through all of this, this crazy journey, I've been able to meet so many other people, uh, mostly through social media and just sharing the portraits. I've had a lot of new contacts, uh, like minded people, other photographers, videographers who are doing similar projects. Mm-hmm. And we're we're all different, but, you know, there was one group that uh, somebody on the team, you know, the contact I had online said I should reach out to uh, the Best Defense Foundation, and I had a great conversation with them on the phone. Donnie Edwards is the founder of it, and invited me to come and photograph some of their um, battlefield return programs. So the first one was last summer. Um, first one after COVID slowed them down quite a bit for a year or two. And we went to Berlin, Germany. That was just a wonderful trip. We took six uh, World War II veterans to Berlin. and Their
1: first time returning to Berlin since
0: the war? Not all of them, maybe okay. one or two of them, but uh, we had um, just a great group of guys, and a couple of whom were born in Germany. You know, they were German Jews, and but before the war started, they were in the United States living here, and okay. they joined up and served the country remarkably.
1: Wow. That had to be something to... To see someone returning to the site of it
0: is. They do decades
1: and decades ago.
0: You know, the Best Defense Foundation does a wonderful job, just taking many veterans back to all kinds of places. You know, Normandy. I'm hoping, keeping my fingers crossed, they'll ask me to go to Normandy with them. You know, first week in June. Okay. And um, but we did take over sixty veterans to Pearl Harbor in December. And that was just an amazing uh, opportunity to see these veterans. I think about six of them actually were in Pearl Harbor when the Japanese attacked. Uh, the other veterans, you know, s- mostly served in, in the Pacific during the war. But, you know, to see these guys back on the pointing out the exact spot where they were when the Japanese mm. attacked. Uh, Wow. I, I still can't quite believe you know, I was there with them and, and seeing that. Yeah, and reliving that experience, which they may yeah. or may not have really
2: wanted to do, but uh, a chance to go back. Let, you know, people go to Hawaii all the time, and that's where everybody wants to go for vacation. Get off the beach for an afternoon and go out to Pearl Harbor. It is absolutely uh, unbelievable. It it's is. It's so small. <laughs> <laughs> the harbor itself is not nearly as big as you think it's going to be. Uh, and, uh, you know, Normandy's on my bucket list and we're hoping to get that accomplished this year. Um, we're talking with Jeff Reese who heads up portraits of honor. Well, you are portraits of honor and the website is Mm portraitsofhonor.us. Take just a few minutes and go look at some of those portraits. I was looking at your Facebook page the other day and I saw a video where you were on the way up to Tennessee to, to do another
0: shoot. Uh, I assume that one went well. Yeah. Uh, after, Getting back from Pearl Harbor, took a little bit of a break for a, a month or so, and then got back out on the road. Uh, most of the time I'm traveling on the road, I, I, I don't uh, have the funds to fly everywhere <laughs> and take all my gear, so I just throw it in my Jeep and hit the road, um, went up to Tennessee to meet a, a veteran, Navy veteran, and that was a good opportunity, then the next week went did the same thing into North Georgia. Now you may not feel
2: comfortable talking about raising money and getting money or that kind of thing, but you have a, a GoFundMe page set up. And if someone were to be interested in helping out this cause, how could they
0: do that? Yeah, I was reluctant to do it, but I felt like, you know, after I kind of ran out of my limited funds that I, if we're going to keep doing this, I need to raise money, uh, to, from others to help me do it. And I did start a GoFundMe page um, for Portraits of Honor. And it has, you know, I've raised thousands of dollars to be able to go from, you know, last year I went from South Florida all the way up to New England, mm. you know, over about a, a month. And it's linked time from the webpage, right? Yes. Okay. And um, I've also, up to uh, Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, um, all the way to Texas, Arizona. We went to um, um, California last November. And
1: Sounds like you're about to hit every state at this point. <laughs> now, are you doing this full-time or alongside your other photography that you do?
0: It's alongside, but it has pretty much turned into a full-time like a full-time job Mm -hmm. you know I could I could easily spend you know the majority of my time probably do now uh, Mm -hmm. working on this project or or tracking down leads um, and just answering emails or looking for new leads it's it's Quite a job. And if yeah.
1: someone someone wants to contact you, they could just go to the website and get, you know, say, yeah. hey, I have a family member I want. They
0: can. Most okay. of the new leads I get are through the website.
1: Okay. Uh, also, speaking of your website, I noticed, as uh, Don already mentioned, that you have a documentary coming out at the end of this year, correct? correct? Hopefully. Okay. Hopefully.
0: Yeah. Um, around Veterans Day last year, I got... Or maybe the same time as the Washington Post article came out, you know, this uh filmmaker in California saw that article and reached out to me and explaining, Hey, I have a love for veterans too, and I would love to partner with you and maybe come up with a way we can put a documentary together on on this journey that I'm on and uh That was with uh, Velocity Studios. James Walker was the guy who uh, contacted me about that. And I was a little skeptical at first, but we talked and talked some more and it turned out that this is a really legit, they wanna do this. Um, Just a matter of raising money for that to to get it done. Now, are you videoing uh, these interviews that you do with the veterans? Whenever I can, I, 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 do. And those videos can be linked or are linked from that website I as assume well. I would be
2: part of the documentary as well. But. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's part of, when we went to California in November, we uh, met six or seven veterans out there in San Diego mm-hmm. and they did some of the filming uh, of me interviewing the veterans and, also shooting their portraits. So that f- was the first little bit of the documentary to get going, and so we'll be doing some more throughout this year, traveling around, um, just doing what I do with the, with the documentary but you put team. the sunglasses on now since you're in the movies, right? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs>
2: you know, something else that's uncomfortable to talk about, though, is um, this project is... Not going to last much longer, I wouldn't think, at least as far as World War II that's go.
0: Sadly, you're right. Uh, that's why I wish I could have started earlier. But at least I'm, I can do what I can. Mm-hmm. And probably, you're right, maybe a few more years of this, um, and those numbers are dwindling. Uh, you know, people are more scattered out. So. Do you
2: see it extending maybe to veterans of other wars?
0: I think so. Uh, probably, uh, you know, even the Korean War veterans are not young. Mm-hmm. You know, and I found those early nineties.
2: They barely get mentioned. It's it's rare that we yeah. hear about a Korean War veteran. And we that was a big. Well, it wasn't a war. It was a mm-hmm. police action, as I recall. Right, but but it involved a lot of people
0: with we, a lot of stories. We call it to, a war. Yeah, <laughs> it was
2: the same thing. The guys who were there certainly do.
0: Yeah,
1: that's right. Right.
0: And it could extend even to Vietnam veterans, too. I certainly don't want to forget them. And and again,
2: even trying to to pitch a book on the Vietnam War, it's hard to do because publishers just aren't excited about that particular very unpopular war. And uh, those guys deserve the same recognition all other veterans have, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: A question that comes to my mind as you're talking to veterans is how do you uh, prime the pump? to get them to talk about themselves because they've done this, they've kind of uh, kept that buried, their stories, and whatever they felt about the war has been buried for years and years. So you're entering an area that needs to be uh, dug up. How do you do that and not step on toes or cause problems?
0: I'm very intentional in that I don't want them to, feel like they have to share more than they want to. I don't ask them very hard questions unless I see that they really want to share something like that. So I'll t- ask them about their basic service, where they went mm-hmm. to training, you know, when they joined up or were drafted and the the very basics and Pretty much after that, they just kind of keep going. I don't have to ask them a whole lot. There have been a couple of veterans who I was intimidated by still, even in their upper 90s. Really? they, They come across as very tough. But eventually, after I make their photographs and we chat while I'm doing that, then we'll start the interview And I think by that time they're a little bit more comfortable with me and most often it's in their home or wherever they're living. And so they're already kind of relaxed by Mm -hmm. that point, but, um, I think they're just ready to share. Um, I rarely get those really tough guys, um, who won't say much at all, even, you know, Lisa's uncle, who was reluctant Mm -hmm. at first, and his family said he wouldn't do it. Eventually, he did. And it's one of the best stories that that we were able to do. I'm
2: sure you've heard some good ones and maybe some uh, unusual ones. Could you share a couple of them with us?
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to say, you know, you mentioned the book Archerfish, about Mm -hmm. the Archerfish. That fish, yeah. And, well, Archerfish, too, right? Right, that was the first one. And I met one of those veterans in North Carolina. And um, when I heard that he served on that sub, I contacted you, I think, and, and I said, hey, I've got one of your guys. And I
2: said, he's a good guy, and he sure helped me write that book. The Archerfish sank the biggest ship that's ever been sunk by a submarine. Oh, okay uh, wow. The uh, aircraft carrier Shinano coming out of Tokyo Bay on her maiden voyage yeah. They thought she was an island. She was so big. But uh, he was there. Yeah,
0: John Potanovich.
2: John Potanovich was there. He was on the, the, the submarine when that happened. Yeah.
0: And sadly, he's another one who just recently
2: passed, passed, away. passed away. And uh, I saw the picture of him with the book, and he thought so much of the book because he felt like
0: it told their story that had never been told before. Mm. Yeah, his daughter, who was the one who initially contacted me, um, told me about him and I mentioned you and the book. And she said, Oh, that's re- That's required reading in our family. <laughs> it's called gallant lady. We
2: actually called it the biography of a submarine because the archerfish yeah. went on and did a lot of other
0: things over the years that uh,
2: kept popping up in history.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite stories was the first B 17 bomber pilot I met. He was a resident at the, uh, the VA home outside Birmingham in Pell City, and I was meeting a group of veterans from World War II there. I didn't really know it beforehand who I was going to be meeting. Um, the uh, director there had just kind of set it up for me, okay. And I showed up and set my gear up, and these guys start slowly coming in, and this one comes scooching along in his wheelchair um, on his own and looked up at me and I I went to him to introduce myself. And he he told me that he was, he served on a B 17 and I was really excited about that. You know, I'm a big fan of, you know, books and movies about B 17, like Memphis bell and while I was growing up. And so here he was and he said he was a pilot and my eyes got really big. And then he mentioned that they were shot down on one of their missions. And I thought, oh, man, this is going to be a great story. Um, I couldn't wait to hear. So he told me they were on their 19th mission in Europe over France in 1944. And it was a mission that they weren't even supposed to be on because you know, it was like an off day for them, but another pilot showed up to the briefing, a little hungover, I think, and his crew didn't want to fly with him. So they asked, (laughs) um, Bill Massey, if he would like to fly that day. And he asked his crew, they said, yeah, you know, kind of sooner we get our missions over with sooner. We can go home. So there, they were flying, um, over France, were hit by um, anti-aircraft fire, you know, flak, and it started a fire somewhere in the forward part of the plane. The cockpit filled with smoke so thick that opening windows didn't help. They they couldn't see the controls, so hmm. they made the decision to to bail out, and everybody was quickly getting ready to do that. And he's being a pilot the the cockpit's so cramped they can't wear a parachute they just had to pick it up when he's going getting close to where they he's going to bail out of the plane but about that time there was an explosion on board and blew him out of the plane oh um still didn't have his parachute on okay but he was holding it in his hand okay By the strap.
1: Oh, my goodness. At
0: 26,000 feet.
1: That's a cliffhanger.
0: Temperatures at that altitude are about 35 below at least. Mm -hmm. And so he's falling and, you know, I don't know how you can even function at that temperature, but it probably took a while. Uh, He said probably about 3,000 feet he had struggled to get that chute on. At least well enough, he thought he was. He could pull the rip cord in. Oh, wow. Yeah, if he doesn't have it on and strapped on pretty good, oh. it comes off when that thing opens. Yeah, and so he said that he pulled the ripcord. It had a hard opening. It knocked his boots off, and so he landed in a stocking feet um, in um, in a a farm in France. <laughs> You know he's about twenty two years old, and that happens to you it is just amazing. So he and two other crewmen were the only ones who survived. you know b seventeen carries a crew of ten. Um, he hid out for a while, waiting for to make sure there was no Germans around, and uh, what looked like a farmer came by and Acted like he was looking for somebody, so he risked it and came out of hiding and the guy took him and the other two guys who they eventually caught up with um, and hid them for at least you know six to eight weeks until the allies came through and were able to um, they were go- able to go back with them Yeah, so, French resistance was uh He helped with the French resistance uh, during that time. And so that was uh, an incredible story, just one of many. Yeah, that was probably
2: the end of the war for him, too. Uh, Typically, if you were shot down and got out, you were not allowed to fly again because they were afraid if you got shot down again, you would be captured and tortured, and you might give up some of the information about the French resistance and the Mm -hmm. French people that would help you escape.
0: Yeah, good point.
2: So uh, there are only a few that... Broke the exception. Chuck Yeager was one of them. He was uh, an ace in World War II over Europe in a P-51 Mustang, by the way. Yeah. And he was shot down. He wasn't supposed to be flying that day either, by the way. He uh, uh, he uh was one of the alternates. And if everybody, all the planes made it uh, on, onto the mission okay, they would turn around and go back to England. One of the planes had engine problems, so he was flying and got shot down. And But he did get back, and he went all the way to Eisenhower to get permission to go back to the war that's the kind of stories these these guys have that's what's so fascinating to me and obviously you too
1: well that's what that's what makes them uh so endearing is the fact that that he wasn't even supposed to be up there you know and and of course he made it out and wow what uh what a way to enter france (laughs) 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 trying to pull your parachute onto you and that's funny wow
2: well, you, you, probably, you probably don't have 200-something stories that good, but you, you've got a lot of good stories there. I notice you have reproduced a lot of those on the website, too, so you can learn a little bit about the, the, the amazing portraits. And again, I can't emphasize enough how wonderful it is just to look at those portraits. They're inspiring. Just the, and you had a lot to do with it because of the way you framed it and lit it and done whatever you've done to it. It's not just a guy standing there grinning at you. So
1: <laughs> yes. There, it's so obvious. There's, this, there's a story behind every, mm-hmm. every wrinkle, we every forget uh, we forget age e- mark. Every yeah. one
2: of these people had an experience that right. uh, few of us, thank goodness, will never have. But uh, you capture captured that so profoundly. And I, is,
0: that, to me, is the, the real key here. That's what I love to do. I, I want these portraits not to just be something that they can put on a wall or stick in a drawer or whatever, but to look at their faces and their hands. And sometimes they're holding a, a portrait of them when they served during the war. And I want people to look at that and be able to see the story in their face mm-hmm. and, and the, all those wrinkles and... Um, you know, all just that the, life. The years yeah. and life history... It tells a story. These are
2: real people who were called into something just so unusual and so different from what most of us will ever do. And yet they performed admirably and did wonderful things and beat a very fanatical enemy in the process. They did.
1: And what I appreciate about it also is they did it wherever they were put. Like you said, truckers, uh, people doing just the average daily stuff that needed to be done in the middle of a war. They just did it. And if, uh, if, an, if another exciting story came out of it, great. But even just in their plain service or their, you know, average service, they, they did, they served honorably.
2: I had a brother-in-law who went to Vietnam. He drove a forklift for a year in Vietnam and he feels like he didn't really do anything. He unloaded ships at Vong Ta. He, uh, he helped make sure those guys had what they need. And, I think he now realizes that he played a big part there as well. But to honor these guys, they don't have to be a pilot. They could be a a mechanic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whatever.
0: I've had uh, mechanics and Army nurses and um, guys who drove trucks, uh, cooks. Chuck
2: Yeager enlisted to be a mechanic. That's what he wanted to do. The first time he flew in an airplane testing one of the planes he'd worked on, he got airsick. (laughs) (laughs) Even when he uh, applied for pilot training, he didn't know if he was going to be able to get over being airsick, but uh, obviously he was (laughs) and and became one of those heroes. Jeff Reese, uh, Portraits of Honor. It's portraitsofhonor.us. It's well worth supporting. If you don't do anything else but go there, and if you know of a veteran who... uh, Needs to be photographed in the proper manner. That's
1: right. Have their story told.
2: (laughs) Let's keep Jeff busy for a while.
1: Yeah, that's good. Thank you so much for being with us.
0: Thank you. I enjoyed this, and I appreciate having the chance to talk to you about it.
2: uh, I meant to ask too. How many uh, Alabamians do you think
0: uh, have there been? Oh, I assume a a preponderance. Since I really don't know, I would think at least a third. Of those I've met are probably from Alabama. Well, you
2: you learn from Band of Brothers and some other documentaries. Alabama big contributor to the war in a lot of ways, and uh, I'm glad you're honoring those Alabamians as well. Portraits of Honor. Uh, that's our episode for this week. Uh, we appreciate you being with us as well. We hope you'll tell folks about us. If you would like to rate us, uh, five stars, thumbs up, subscribe. But mostly just tell people about this Alabama life. Positive stories about Alabamians doing remarkable things. And we'll see you next time.